Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only Podcast. This is your host, John Powers. Today, we are speaking to Dr. Jennifer Gerby, who is the Associate Director for Technology and Program Director at ARP at the Advanced Research Program Agency Energy. And for those that are familiar, it's ARPA-E. It's an incredible part of the Department of Energy that's helping to drive innovation. Jenny's got a great background doing a lot of her work in, for instance, in national labs and later on at Dow Chemical and is helping to provide oversight in sort of all the technology issues relating to ARPA-E's program. We're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming ARPA-E Summit, which is in Denver. July 8th to the 10th. And if you're not familiar, you can go to the RPE Summit website, which is RPE-Summit, as well as an RFI that RPE has on the street as they're trying to find ways to put together public-private partnerships to help these new companies and new technologies overcome the Valley of Death. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us here at Experts Only Podcast. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks. You know, I want to talk about your work at RPE and I think your experience sort of academically, but I really want to step back, you know, as we're talking offline, you mentioned growing up in, in the Hudson Valley, what sort of began to trigger your interest in, in the energy space? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I grew up in a very small town, so I was outside a lot, sort of by myself a lot. So I sort of read books and hung out in nature. So I was very interested in ecology, sort of, and animals as kids are who are sort of like that. And, you know, just sort of as I matured and started taking more classes, I realized that my interests were really always about why, like why does something happen? And to me, it's all about physics. Like when I finally took physics, I was like, oh, this is like answering some of the why questions. So I knew that I wanted to go into sort of that side of science, but energy in particular was not something that I was looking at. I was sort of more interested in materials and things like that. I was interested in making an impact somehow, but I didn't really know what that meant. So I did some stuff in high energy physics, which is on the other end of the spectrum than <laughs> stuff that has a short-term impact close to the market. And it was, it was fun, but it really didn't sort of satisfy that. And it took a while, but when I learned more about, I mean, this was the time when we had wars in the Middle East and oil was on everybody's mind. And I was a very young child in the 70s. And so the more I sort of thought about that, the more I realized that energy linked everything together, everything. I mean, whether it's the economy, ways that people work, what you can do as a society. I mean, there's no getting away from energy. So whenever I looked at important problems that I thought would be worth solving, they almost always came back to energy. And so it was really... It was really important for me to see that I did work in solar research for my graduate work in material science. But uh, yeah, I just got more and more interested the more I dug into it. And some of the problems are really complex and uh, subtle. And so again, as you sort of dig deeper into some of these problems, you realize just how fascinating it is. Yeah, interesting. And you know, coming from so the material science side of this, right? You worked at, mm-hmm. at Argonne National Laboratory. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? And for folks that aren't familiar with the national labs, maybe just add some color on what their role is and sort of the, the broader efforts. Yeah, the national labs are really interesting place. They can really sort of bridge the gap sometimes between 
doing more fundamental research and more targeted research and sort of what it means to get to that point. And I went there to work with a group that was doing thin film diamond deposition. And so I was working on sort of diamond electronics, but we also sort of had a foray into bio implants and the fact that diamond is a very safe material to use sort of in the body. And so we were working with this company doing artificial retinas and it was really interesting. And when so you say diamond, so by the way, do you literally mean, yeah. you literally mean diamonds? Yeah, it's literally so thin films of diamond using a plasma to make them. And, you know, they have certain crystal size, but it really is diamond. But it behaves in different ways because of how you can make the structure. But so it was really interesting for me to see that sometimes the gap between something that might seem a little more fundamental, you can find really interesting application spaces for that. And it's important to do that earlier rather than later sometimes. Also, it was the first group at Argonne, I think, that spun out a company, which was not something that Argonne was used to doing at all. So I got to see sort of how that was actually really challenging, but I thought that was great that they were trying to do that. So I think, you know, all the labs are different. They have great people at them. They all focus on different things. Um, And I think it's it's actually a really important resource. And I learned a lot there. I also spent my senior, last senior semester undergrad at Argonne National Lab at a science and engineering semester program. And that was fantastic for me. I wonder how that experience being at the lab, spending, being part of spending a company out has sort of prepared you you're doing at RPE and seeing some of the challenges of these newer technologies and really the companies behind them trying to get mm-hmm. traction. Yeah, you know, I learned a lot about that when I was in industry. So I went and worked, I was at Dow Chemical and then Dow Corning, but you know, I saw that looking at innovation models and the way they bring new tech in, you know, a lot of times they will assess startups and decide whether or not to acquire them. And right. so I actually interacted more, I think in that role with smaller companies and saw how people sort of did due diligence and what you could do in a small company culture versus a large company culture. So yeah, that was really important to learn before coming to RPE because we fund groups of all types. I mean, we'll put out a funding announcement to solve, solve this problem in energy right. and we will have national labs apply. We will have two people in a garage apply. We will have large companies apply. We will have different groups of these mixed together in different ways apply. And so the needs of all those groups and the styles of them are all different. So it really helps to understand how different that can be before you go to RBE. Sure. So I want to get to RBE in a second, but I really want to first, you know, we've had a theme on a mm-hmm. couple of our recent episodes talking about sort of diversity and the, the clean energy workforce. And you are obviously a, a woman in STEM. You talk about, you know, I think about my own daughters, or my own daughter who's six years old right now, and we are actively, you know, trying to get her very interested in that space and variety of different ways. Like what, you know, what advice you have for sort of young women coming up in the STEM space and how do companies that are out there really try to find and add diversity into their workforce? Well, that's like the million dollar question. Yeah. (laughs) We struggle with that too. (laughs) What I would probably do is uh, I'm going to tweak your question a little bit. Yeah, please. Not what can young women do in STEM. It's what can everybody do to encourage there to be more equity in people that go into STEM. Because it's often sort of cast as, oh, okay, you as a woman need to be less sensitive to people being a jerk to you, or you need to lean in and take all these chances you wouldn't otherwise take. And it's not that any of that's bad advice, but it's sort of putting the solution on the person who's being hurt the most by the problem. And it's really, you know, I'm very big on, let's look at this problem as a whole, right? It's hard to recruit people. It's hard to encourage people. We all come from different backgrounds with, you know, different levels of benefits. So we really have to think about, are there policies in place that's making it harder 
for certain people to go into a certain job. For example, look at the way that you're doing outreach. You know, are you just using your nearest next neighbor and getting tips from people that already work there? Or are you aggressively going out and reaching out into groups of people that you don't have a connection to? So it was an interesting challenge. And a lot of, I would say the atmosphere is different than when I was going through, say, undergrad and grad school, and things were much more overt back then. And yes, I did have my share of ridiculous things I needed to deal with, particularly that there were never women's bathroom, bathrooms in the synchrotrons I would go to, things like that. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. But now I would say, you know, it's really important to sort of know yourself and understand your personality and understand what you need in order to do well in a certain area or a certain job and push yourself out side of your comfort zone, but know what that means for you. Because you do have to be somewhat resilient, I think, to be, well, honestly, to be anybody in tech. But when you are coming up against these sort of subtle barriers that people don't realize they're putting out there, it takes some resilience to get past right. that. So it's, it is, it's actually a very subtle problem. And I've been very interested in this, and I've been sort of digging into it more. I have, there's people I work with at AWIS, the Association for Women in Science, and they're a great group. Um, so you can sort of look at all the stuff the NSF has done in this area and the studies they've put out and realize that this is a problem we all need to solve together. It's something that everybody does. Everybody has subconscious bias. And just think of it as here's how humans work. So how can we actually overcome this problem, not by shaming people, but by understanding how humans work and how we can fix this problem from that point of view. I so that. I think there's huge opportunities for, for women in STEM, but I'm not going to say we've solved the problem. Right. <laughs> you know, dealing right. with unconscious bias and stuff like that. Really appreciate the perspective. And obviously, you're probably taking a lot of those lessons with you into the, the work you're doing today at RPE. And I would love to sort of step back for our audience who, who aren't familiar with RPE, the Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy, which is part of the Department of Energy. Could you give a little bit of the history of RPE and why it was formed and talk a little bit about what you're all focusing on? The RPE is quite a young agency. We are less than 15 years old, and we were started to look at very difficult research that other people really weren't able to look at to solve energy problems for the country. So the language that we follow is actually quite broad that started RPE, and it's about strengthening our energy independence, reducing energy-related emissions, and increasing energy efficiency. And you can think about that, you know, you can fit a lot of different tech into that. And so we were set up from the beginning to have a very different culture than other agencies because our mission is different than other agencies and the types of problems that we are addressing are different than other agencies. So we have these term limits. Everybody that comes in is there for three to five years and then they leave. We're essentially run by this group of program directors that come in and are very passionate about solving a problem in the energy space and can also understand what the impact would be if it were solved. And uh, there's nothing wrong with other types of cultures. It's just that in order to attack problems like this, you really have to have the freedom to be able to go at it the right way. And the culture at RPE is basically as close as you're going to get to a startup culture in the government, as far as I can see. I mean, it's pretty amazing. There's no competition at all, right? We all work together all the time. Our portfolio is so broad. It's amazing. And we are a tiny little agency. We're very, very lean. We don't have lots of levels of middle managers. We all sort of vet each other's pitches and things like that. So I think the goal of setting this up really was to have a place that had a culture 
and could attack some of these very high-risk research problems in a different way. And I think that that has been very successful. Yes, having worked in the bureaucracy, right, recognizing that innovation isn't always the easiest thing to pursue when you're working in a bureaucratic structure. And it's not always the bureaucrats' fault. It's sometimes challenges on contracting, challenges on, on budgets. But RPEs had a, an incredible level of success sort of trying to drive really creative change. Where, when you guys are looking at what's needed today in sort of the, the energy markets, you know, what do you see as sort of the bigger problems that you're trying to address? Oh, there's, <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's, we look for, so let me give you some of the uh, sort of the things we think about when we're deciding what to work on. So we don't have a top-down sort of roadmap structure. We don't tell people what to work on. People come in and pitch ideas that they think is what we should work on. So we're determining that, which means that we're as varied as the people who come in. So we see enormous challenges in the entire grid space. I mean, whether you're talking about, you know, power electronics, hardware, to software and controls, to how you actually, you know, assess different things on the grid. I think that systems that are incredibly complex and that are somewhat inertial because of regulation or hardware or just, you know, physical capabilities, it gets really interesting to dig into that and figure out how can we possibly make a difference there with this? We have a small budget, you know, our programs are generally 30 to $50 million. How can I possibly make a difference here? And the key right. is to dig and dig and dig and to find that technical gap that nobody else can fill right now for whatever reason. And if we can help bridge that gap and de-risk that tech, the entire field can move forward. And so we put a huge amount of work into our program development process where we're trying to figure out what problems should we solve? What should the solution look like? What should those metrics look like? And that's what we put up in our funding announcement. So we see a lot of interesting stuff, whether it's transportation, whether it's power generation, nuclear fusion, I mean, all over the place. We have a very broad portfolio. Coming up here in, in about a month after this is up, on July 8th to 10th in Denver, RPE is having a, a summit, uh, the 10th Annual Energy Innovation Summit. And you guys bring together leaders in industry, academia, government, to really look at America's energy challenges. I used to go to this regularly when it was in Washington. What are people expecting sort of out of the summit? You know, are you, is there certain things that you're looking for there? And then, you know, I would just ask if people are interested in, and getting involved or even attending, how do they do that? No, that's great. I think, you know, the summit is it's a completely amazing event. That's actually how I found out about RPE is I went really? to the summit as a tech scout. Yeah. And it was really, there's probably, and I'm not just saying this event at RPE. It was one of the best events I've ever been to. So there's a number of different things that go on. The first thing is that every single one of our active performers is there and has a booth, and you can go talk to them and see what they're doing. So, I mean, if you want to get an idea of what our portfolio looks like, you can actually go and meet all the teams. So, right. you know, we have a lot of investors, VCs, tech scouts, people like that really like to come to see what we're doing. And I mean, that's over like just over 300 groups in one place. Right. We also, you know, we have a lot of programming during the summit. We have some really great and useful panels. And we also have these things called fast pitches. And fast pitches are super fun. It's one of the things that impressed me the most for the first summit that I ever went to. And it's basically these little seven minute long talks about whatever's on our program directors or PhD fellows minds that could inform a potential future program. 
And there are topics all over the place. So it's really sort of a fun time. It can be like a slightly irreverent time. And that's how you can really sort of see how we're thinking and the types of things we think about in order to sort of start new programs. And so you can see all those. You can go. They're also, by the way, we have a YouTube channel and all of our fast pitches are on there. So those are one of the first things I tell people to look at if they're interested in the agency. So the summit, it's on July 8th to 10th in Denver, which is very unusual. It's the first time it's ever been out of DC. And I'm so happy we were able to do that because, you know, one of the things that I've really noticed having projects all over the country traveling all the time is that there are amazing innovation centers all around the country. And I think it's very important for us all to tap those innovation centers. And so this is a, a chance for people to go and see Denver. So for example, there's going to be sort of an NREL innovation workshop that's going to happen right after the summit that people can go to and go see some of the facilities there. There's a couple other things that are going on. So it's really a good time to sort of come and sort of see all different kinds of programming and sort of see how we think. So you can register at the website. So it's just www.rpe-summit.com and you can just Google RPE Summit and it'll come up. But yeah, I, I just can't say enough good things about it. An enormous amount of work goes into it. We have some really interesting main stage speakers when Dean came and coming, for example, CEO Siemens are coming. And so it's really fun to hear their perspectives as well. Yeah, excellent. It's, it's a great conference. There's really always super interesting companies, investors, sort of the whole ecosystem around innovation sort of thrives at that summit. But one of the things that you guys are looking at, and I want to talk for a second about sort of a request for information that you have in the street and RFI is, you know, how to get those companies that are doing innovative stuff, whether it be supported by RPE or not, right? Those early stage innovative technologies, how to get them through what many people call the, the valley of death, right? That for folks that are familiar, it's you've created a really interesting widget, but how do you scale that, manufacture it, get it into the market? It's a unique problem for, it's not a unique problem for the economy. It is a unique problem for the economy, but in energy in particular, because it's such a regulatory heavy environment, it's a different beast to deal with. And you've got organizations like the Breakthrough Breakthrough Ventures that's coming out of Bill Gates and, and other investors and others trying to, to drive this. But you guys are specifically having RFI on the street looking for feedback from investors and others on things like public-private partnerships. Can you talk a little bit about that RFI mm-hmm. and what you guys are exploring? Yeah. So you are, I wish there was only one valley of death. Um, sometimes <laughs> I call the second right. valley of death the valley of despair. But so again, just to talk a little more about that. I mean, you know, a lot of times we're trying to do something that's never been done before. So you have this huge technical gap and it's amazing when people can actually get it to work. And so you get it to work in the lab, you have data, you have validation. That's the first valley of death. Can I actually get something to work? Because until you have something, it's really hard to get funding to do it. So that's sometimes where it's sort of the only game in town that'll do that. But the problem is, all right, you have something that works on your laboratory bench. How are you going to convince people that that can ever actually be a real thing? Looking at different industrial scale-up processes, what people need to see in order to validate it, there's a huge amount of risk involved into saying, okay, how can I take this thing I made in the lab and actually show it can be done for real? And so that is the valley of despair, in my opinion, and that is a really hard place to be. So we, in our language, it you know, includes deployment of technologies. And we've never really looked at what would it mean 
for ARPA-E to actually be involved in helping address this second valley of death, this second sort of risk to de-risk something in order to enable especially American manufacturing. And so we have an RFI out about something called Pilot, where we are asking feedback from anybody out there about what something like this could possibly look like. So we would be addressing any past or current ARPA-E team that has reported a subject matter invention to the DOE. So again, it could be somebody who stopped funding quite some time ago. We're looking at a very different kind of funding vehicle. We usually do cooperative agreements and we have you know, relatively small amounts of cost share. This would be a 50% cost share where you would expect them to have some sort of an industry partner where people from the financial world might be able to participate in a way that they couldn't before and really have this be sort of a different kind of partnership moving forward. And because we haven't done this before, it's very important for us to both know what people want and what people have concerns about, because we don't want to set something up and then have barriers in there that we didn't realize we had. We mentioned the summit before. One of the things we're going to do is to try to have teams at the summit chat with people that are interested in potentially partnering up for something like this. So we're very excited about it. It's something very different than what we've done before. Anybody can go read this RFI and send us their feedback. I think it's going to be open until June 20th. You can get there very easily. You can get there from a bit.ly link, which is pilot RFI, all one word. But you can also, again, just Google RPE Exchange. The Exchange site is where all of our funding announcements and RFIs go up. So that is a good place to keep your eyes on if you're interested in RPE. We'll link to both the summit and the pilot from our website as people are looking. So feel free to link there. And it's great that you guys are trying to tackle that ever-growing problem. I feel it's such an interesting and sort of never-ending challenge. And I appreciate your views on valleys of death, death. I have been a sort of an active fan and supporter of RPE ever since it got started. And the, the you know we've had an earlier episode with Jim uh, Dower who helped found it. This is the type of work that government is is helping to change the game in terms of the market. And you know I really the work you're doing, the culture you're building is is going to really have an impact not just in the short term but in the long term for how we engage with energy here in the future. So thank you for that. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for that. Yeah. And so one final question I ask all my guests, if you could go back to yourself, either coming out of high school in the Hudson Valley or, or coming out of college and could <laughs> sit down and grab coffee with yourself, is there any uh, career advice you'd give yourself or any advice in general? Yeah, I would say don't be so scared. I was oh, really uh, nervous. Like I would giving a talk was extraordinarily difficult for me. I was always very quiet in class and it was a process to push through that. And when I think of the amount of time I spent worrying about stuff that didn't need to be worried about, like that's time that could have been spent doing better things. And it took, I mean, I was probably 40 before I really got over that. Wow. And uh, you sort of get to this point where you just sort of don't care anymore. Things get really bad. And it's like, you know what? I just don't care. And oh my God, that opened up a whole new world for me. So it's funny. Sometimes I say, <laughs> when people ask me about that, I'm like, the trick is in not caring. But it's not that yeah. you don't care. It's just you don't care about things that don't matter. Right? right? There's only so much attention and energy to focus on things. So don't worry about the things that don't matter. And I wish that I had learned that earlier. That's great feedback. And, you know, it actually ties into sort of the early, earlier part of our conversation to you. You've had an amazing career, Jenny, and really appreciate the work you're doing at RPE, whether it be what's going on out in Denver uh, or beyond, you know, we'll, we'll be following the, your work closely. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.
And I'd like to thank, just to wrap up, thank our producers, Carly Batten, as well as our intern, Courtney Flynn, and the, and the team at RPE that helped us put this together. We're really excited to have, uh, have Jenny on and have this conversation. You can find more episodes at cleancapital.com. As always, we're looking for thoughts on other, feel free to submit those and as look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.